Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, November 28th. Happy Travel Tuesday, everyone, and perhaps the ultimate Travel Tuesday, as it's the final day for big travel savings on all the Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Travel Tuesday deals, plus it's Giving Tuesday as well, so major props to all the brands out there doing fantastic deals, uh, some big-time savings from all the Black Friday stuff, you know, over thousands of worth of savings and percentages of up to 70% off on things, so... Love to see those types of deals out there. Did you book any of those? Did you make it happen? Hit me up, podcast at travelpulse.com is the email. Love to hear from you. And we also have a hotline for the show. You can call in, leave a message if you'd like. 201-381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. Joining me on the show later is Chip Rogers, president and CEO of the American Hotel and Lodging Association. We'll discuss how the hotel industry has performed in 2023 and what's ahead for 2024. But first, as we do for every episode, in case this happens to be the first time you're listening to the podcast, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with a Thanksgiving travel recap. It was a record-setting and smooth operations overall for the most part, you know, minus a little bit of wet weather here and some cancellations and delays because of Mother Nature. But TSA set an American aviation record when it processed an all-time high number of 2.9 million passengers on Sunday, November 26th. They also reported that they've moved more than 2 million passengers per day through security every day this month uh, in November, with the exception of Thanksgiving Day. November 23rd itself wasn't as big. It's actually been over 2 million passengers per day, minus Thanksgiving Day, of course, dating back all the way to September 19th, 2023. So pretty impressive there. I mean, 2.9 million on Sunday, though. Wow, that's a lot. And then then 2.7 million on Wednesday, Thanksgiving Eve, also among the busiest in the year. So my prediction last year of 3 million in one day for the 2023 Thanksgiving weekend came just so close. Just missed it. Almost, though. So let's roll it over. Three million in one day in 2024. It's going to happen. One bit of concerning news, though, last week uh, for the big holiday travel time was that Air Marshal National Council Director Sonia Labosco said the air marshals were still being deployed at the southern border, which meant that she feared there was resources were depleted and that when it comes to flying air marshals over the busy Thanksgiving holiday period. Not something you really want to hear before, you know, that busy time period and what turned out to be a record-setting weekend of travel. But thankfully, nothing serious happened, though, and hopefully that's not going to be an issue coming up around the Christmas holidays and New Year's because that's also going to be a very busy time of travel. Again, thankfully, nothing serious happened. There was, you know, some naughty passengers for sure. There was one that jumped out, uh, literally, is a Southwest passenger who got off the plane through an escape hatch and stood on the wing and then jumped off and tried to hijack an emergency vehicle before he was apprehended and arrested. This happened in New Orleans. Not much is known on why he did it, but quite the mysterious naughty passenger there. There were a lot of videos videos of passengers as they were exiting the plane frantically and not knowing what's going on, which would be a scary situation if you don't really know. But if you just saw some guy open the hatch and just jump out and walk on the wing, I think I would just be like, what is happening? And then everyone tell you, you know, you gotta, gotta get up and leave the plane. Yeah, I, I, I would be frustrated for sure. And, you know, it's definitely a bummer for those passengers, you know, plenty of them freaking out as they're exiting the plane and, and rightfully so. It might be on edge if you don't know exactly what's happening but if you saw somebody jump out and walk on the wing how would you react podcast at travelpulse.com let me know your thoughts there uh thankfully it wasn't a crazy chaos of with airlines and airlines were on time at a high rate according to data from oag so love to hear that still though 
one Southwest Airlines pilot had a warning message that lingers on really through the rest of holiday season here too, saying, quote, we had a winter storm and the inability of the company to deal with severe weather events last year. I don't know if we're going to have another one. The ability of the company to deal with them, we don't feel has been addressed and improved. We proved a couple weeks ago in Denver that the company struggled to get airplanes de-iced and airborne. They wouldn't release airplanes out of the gate to get de-iced. We just don't have the resources for all our employees to deal with that, end quote. Southwest says otherwise, though, saying, quote, We have reinforced our airport infrastructure, increased available equipment, and bolstered overall winter preparedness at key airports with the potential for severe winter weather to help our employees function more effectively in severe weather. End quote. The company said that on their website there. Southwest is also spending $1.3 billion to fix all their problems and the technology issues that they've had. So you'd like to think that none of that's going to happen again. I mean, Southwest knows it cannot have a repeat of last year's holiday meltdown. So they're doing what they can. You know, no surprise, though, that the pilot isn't a little too thrilled about how things are going right now. Southwest pilots unions are in a contract stalemate with the airline. You know, the possibility of a strike looms. I don't see that happening. Don't see any major strikes going down. Um, I like to live on the positive side of things, so I'm just going to keep speaking that into existence, and that's not going to happen, and severe uh, issues with air travel will not occur again this year. Uh, let's let's hope. <laughs> uh, but certainly hope, you know, any major meltdowns are not going to occur. Fingers crossed that there aren't any massive winter storms, though, around the corner that will significantly impact travel, but that Mother Nature, you know, she does what she wants. So travelers, better make sure you are prepared. Also in air travel news last week, the United States Senate announced that it would conduct an investigation into airline fees for baggage, seat selection, ticket changes, and other services. They requested a detailed breakdown from the major airlines in the U.S., including American, Delta, Frontier, Spirit, and United, about why the fees were implemented and how much they make each carrier and the cost to supply each service. The Senate said, quote, U.S. airlines increasingly charge ancillary fees that obscure the actual cost of air travel. These itemized fees are often not disclosed to customers until well into the ticket purchasing process or after a ticket has been purchased, making it difficult for consumer customers to know the true total cost of a ticket in comparison shop prior to purchase. End quote. The Senate's team found data, though, that did suggest that the top eight airlines in the U.S. collected around $4.2 billion in fees for seat selection. An additional uh, total revenue from baggage fees increased from $4.9 billion to $6.8 billion between 2018 and 2022. So big jump there. Airlines making big bucks um, on that. Last year, the U.S. Transportation Department did propose new rules that would require carriers to disclose fees for baggage, ticket changes, and family seating from the first time an airfare is displayed on site. The Department of Transportation is working to approve the new regulations in early 2024. So yeah, let's make that happen. Travelers deserve better. Airlines have been bailed out how many times now? So let's be better. Let's be more transparent airlines and improve the overall air travel experience. But then again, the airlines know they have us. I mean, we're not hopping on a boat every time we want to go to Europe over there. We're not sailing around, you know, around the world just to make it to Asia or something. Uh, so we're at their mercy. So let's hope they do the right thing and make it better. Speaking of Europe, we transition over to destination news where more details were revealed about Venice's day tripper fee for tourism. Starting in April 2024, the Italian city of Venice plans to better regulate the tourist industry, ease congestion, and make life a little easier for its residents. So the city will begin a modest surcharge on people who are only visiting for the day. They plan to charge €5 Euros apiece to visit the city on peak weekends and peak times. 
It's being called the Tourist Contribution Program, the goal. It's keeping the city off the United Nations UNESCO list of most endangered cities. Rightfully so, we don't want that. Uh, Venice's mayor did decided, uh, they said, would not call it a tourist tax. Rather, he said, it's a beta plan to incentivize tourists to visit the city on off-peak days. Our attempt is to make a more livable city, he said. The fee will be imposed for a total of 29 days between April and mid-July during the peak hour windows of 8.30 a.m. until 4 p.m. The fee is waived if you come in after those hours for dinner or to attend the theater. The fee is also waived for residents, students, workers, and those who are staying at a hotel in the city. There will be a special website created for your visit, and you must download a QR code in order to visit. With more information on that coming soon, we'll definitely be sure to have all that up on Travel Pulse once it's all set, and the link is there and everything. So, good for Venice. I like this. So, let's see how it goes next year in the process with it. We already know that Italy is going to remain a popular 2024 destination, and Venice will no doubt see its influx of tourists. No surprise there. It's always among the top list of traveler's wish list so i don't think a fee is going to deter anyone from going venice is going to make some solid money off of this fee even though it is only five euros on that not a whole lot but it'll add up (laughs) in other destination news guy fieri is launching a flavor town fest a music and food festival so flavor town fest is set for june 1st and 2nd of 2024 the food and funk festival will be held in columbus ohio and that's guy's hometown Fieri said it will be, quote, two full days of awesome music, the best chefs, real deal food from around the nation, and a whole lot of fun that you're going to have to see to believe. This festival will truly be the first of its kind, and I could not be more stoked to bring it to my original hometown, end quote. The new festival will give a portion of proceeds from ticket sales to charities in the central Ohio region. The Guy Fieri Foundation focuses on programs that help veterans, first responders, literacy efforts, and culinary education. So that's awesome there. Musical acts, though, have not been announced. Tickets can be purchased now at FlavortownFest.com. Prices range from $155 to $215 for the two-day event with VIP tickets and pricing said to be coming soon. So, man, that is going to be a fun one. You know the food is going to be great. It's Guy Fieri. I mean, have you, if you've been on the Carnival Ships and you've had his burgers there, they are amazing. I would could eat that probably every time I was on, every day that I was on the ship there. But uh, there's a lot of good food on cruise ships out there. But Guy Fieri's Burgers, among the best, uh, especially on the burger side of things. So you got to try that if you never have. But you know that food is going to be awesome. I'm very eager to hear who the music acts are going to be for this. And, you know, they're teasing that it's going to be unique and it's going to be something different. Uh, Guy saying that the, quote, the festival will truly be the first of its kind. Yeah, that's got me hooked. So who wants to go with me, right? Podcast at travelbulls.com. Let me know if your game... Let's make it happen, right? Let me know your thoughts on the podcast too, because that wraps up what has been trending in travel, a little bit of it as well, because there's so much news all the time. So be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter out there and check us out, travelpulse.com. Any additional thoughts on the show, drop me an email, podcast at travelpulse.com. Now let's jump over to our interview segment of the show on the hotel industry check-in. And now joining me on the podcast is Chip Rogers, president and CEO of the American Hotel and Lodging Association. Welcome back to the show, Chip. Thanks for joining. It is good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, looking forward to talking some hotel insights here. So we'll dive right in. What are your thoughts on the hotel industry and how it's performed in 2023? What's the sort of the state of the industry right now as 2023 draws to an end? You know, we look for 2023 to be that year where we could compare it back to 2019 and say we we have finally returned to the pre-pandemic numbers. And for the most part, that's true. <clears throat> if you look at the occupancy numbers are coming in slightly below 2019, 
the um, <clears throat> the REVPAR numbers and the ADR numbers are considerably higher, but you've got to adjust that for inflation. So if you're just looking at the health of the industry, how things are going, I would say you're on par with 2019. It looks a little bit different in the mix, the type of guests that you're getting. And certainly in cer- in some regions, you're doing much better than in others. Definitely so. Yeah, it has been a whirlwind of a year so far. An exciting one, though, and, and you know, some challenges that the hotel association, uh, hotel industry, should I say, has had to face and overcome and, and deal with as, you know, we move forward. But um, as we look ahead to 2024, any uh, projections, predictions on the hotel industry side of things? Any challenges that lie ahead that really need to be the focal point, you think? You know, I think a few things we have to look at. Um, first, what does the economy do? Things are certainly slowing down. You're seeing those unemployment numbers uh, tick up. And the type of travel that's really sustained the industry since the pandemic has been obviously leisure travel. And so as as people get a little more worried about their pocketbook, you have to be concerned about that leisure travel. Uh, second part of that is the dollar remains very strong internationally. So folks are less likely to come to the United States based on cost, though we're open. And if you've been to Europe over the last couple of years, you know, uh, it was overrun by tourists because it's a lot of Americans because it was fairly cheap. And so I think the U.S. is probably in a good position if the strength of the dollar can continue to come down. Um, if we don't have situations uh, like war or pandemics that, that slow down international travel, you're still looking for Asia to return to where it was. It's not anywhere close to where it was. So that certainly impacts the West Coast markets. But all in all, I think things are pretty good. That leisure travel has Uh, It's kind of flattened out a little bit, but flattened out where we thought it should be, and that's at a pretty high level. Uh, The small groups have been back for a couple of years. The large groups are just now getting back, and the business travel uh, is beginning to return. Uh, That inner city business travel has been kind of the the most um, worrisome laggard, uh, but that's starting to change as, as many offices have gone back four days a week. Yeah, certainly on the business side of things, it's interesting to see how it's been, you know, sort of big revival of the, the big city revivals and the big cities have been, so you know, bouncing back way stronger. And hopefully, you know, 2024 looks better for those inner city ones. Like you said, some of the smaller markets as more and more people get back to the business and hopefully add a little bit of leisure onto that side with the business and leisure combination of, of things. We uh, certainly love to see that aspect in the travel industry, right? Yeah, the leisure is real and it's lasting. I mean, I think people have figured out, okay, how can I work remotely? And while People are working remotely less than they were just a year ago because people are coming more into the office. They know how to do it. The technology is there. You have the capabilities to do it, maybe unlike uh, prior to 2020. And so when people go on business trips, uh, they can mix in an extra day of leisure. They can work from their hotel room. They know how to do it. It's an acceptable thing to do now. And so leisure is here to stay. That's really good for for the industry. I think it strengthens Uh, weekends in many of your major cities because people can do that business travel and stay throughout the weekend. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at the silver linings that came out of COVID, uh, one, hotels know how to operate more efficiently. Two, they are far more attuned to the needs uh, of the guest and far more connected to the guests. No question about that. And then the ability to work anywhere has really created a sustainable leisure market that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Love to hear that for the industry for sure. And as we uh, pivot here a little bit, let's want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things you guys are doing with American Hotel and Lodging Association and other groups uh, combined with you guys. You recently are, are suing the Biden administration over franchise model destroying rules. So can you tell us a little bit more about why the American Hotel and Lodging Association is doing this? 
Well, we are protecting our part of the franchise industry now. This, of course, affects just about every business that you see on Main Street. And it's really one of the more troubling policy changes that have come out of the administration, maybe the most troubling. If you think about the franchise model, it involves essentially three major components. A franchisee, which is the person who owns the business. The franchisor, which is the person who licenses the use of the, the name, the trademark, the flag, and 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 some of the things that go into how the business might feel or look. Uh, and then, of course, you have the employee. Now, those are the three main entities when you're thinking about the franchise model. So you have to ask yourself, why did the joint employer policy come out of the administration? Because, number one, franchisors do not want it. Number two, franchisees do not want it. And number three, no employee has ever gone to Washington, D.C. and said, look, what I would really like to have in my life is two bosses, not one. So all of the people that are involved in the franchise model are totally opposed to this because it is terrible, terrible policy. It's not well thought, thought out at all. And it's only meant to do one thing, and that is to appeal to organized labor. That is it. There is no other purpose. It's going to destroy the franchise uh, model if it is if it is upheld by the courts. We certainly don't think that it will be. Uh, it's it's on very dicey ground as it stands now. But this idea that a franchisor jointly employs a franchisee's employees, which is what the joint employer uh, ruling uh, or standard has created, it, it's absurd on its face. Because if you know anything about the franchise model, you know the franchisor has nothing to do with the franchisee's employees. They don't hire them. They don't set their hours. They don't pay them. They don't give them benefits. They don't even know their name. And yet somehow they're supposed to be jointly employing them. It makes no sense. It is a solution, a bad one, looking for a problem that does not exist. Yeah, just going to create more issues on that front. So what's the timeline on that? What do you think as far as your the suing aspect and then, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen since it is ridiculous? What, what timeline uh, roughly, I guess, if, if you had to guess? Well, you never know. We uh, right. they, Originally, it was supposed to go into effect in late December of uh, the they have extended that. Um, we, are, of course, have fi- already filed suit. We're in a uh, court in Texas. We're hoping the judge does the right thing there. Um, I'm sure there will be lots of other suits, maybe in every jurisdiction, to try to stop this because it, it impacts every single franchise. And think about where you do your shopping. You know, the companies, the local companies that you work with on a daily basis that are franchised, it impacts every single one of them in a very negative way. And so I suspect we're going to see lawsuits uh, pretty much everywhere we go. My hope is, is that folks really wake up to this, just how dangerous this is, how how detrimental it is for, for your local economies and the national economy in general, and really reach out to the lawmakers and say, look, I know you have these political ideologies that you want to push forward in Congress. This is a really bad one. This is a very dumb idea. No franchisor, no franchisee has ever come to you as an elected official and said, please, let's have joint employer. So let's not do this. Let's not do the dumb things, especially when Washington, D.C. has so many important things they could actually be working on that make sense. Indeed, indeed, yes. Um, speaking of something else that's a bit ridiculous, and we talked about this the last time you were on the show, is the Los Angeles and the homeless situation. So one of the ways you guys have been advocating is uh, being against the Los Angeles putting up homeless people in hotels. So what's the latest on that front? Again, a very bad idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we have some good news there. The entity that put it on the ballot, which is the Unite Here, the local labor union in Southern California, um, they're the only ones that can take it off the ballot. They have agreed in principle to a new policy that's being put forth in the L.A. City Council that would not include homeless in hotels. 
but would include many of the other things that the local union is wanting. Now, I will tell you, the underlying legislation is very problematic. But setting that aside for a moment, it does remove the homeless and hotels, which would have been incredibly dangerous yeah. for hotel employees. And that was our, our concern all along, is making sure that we don't have policies that put hotel employees in danger. I kind of scratched my head. I was just in shock that the local union would put their own members in danger. But that's what they were trying to do. They have not yet pulled the amendment. They have a few more days. They have until December 8th to take it uh, off the ballot completely. But they have agreed to do so. They've made that public. So we're going to hope they follow through on their word and do that and at least remove that part of an overall bad policy idea from the legislation. Yeah, it's certainly when, as we discussed last year on this, it just was kind of dumbfounding and that this would be a thought of uh, a solution to a problem and certainly a problem that Los Angeles definitely has. And you hear anyone you talk to about, you know, traveling to Los Angeles, they tell you, don't go there or don't go here or, you know, oh, did you see all these homeless people or whatever? And putting in hotels just logistically and yeah, the thought process behind that, I remember we talked about last year was mind boggling. And here we are, it's still a thing. And as you said, hopefully not going to be a thing coming soon, though. Yeah, look, if, if the local union and the city council and the mayor's office want to help solve the problem in Los Angeles, first thing we can do is stop all of the residential buildings that are being turned into commercial buildings through illegal short-term rentals. If you want to solve the problem, <clears throat> you identify hotels. <clears throat> that is where guests should stay. You recognize that in residential areas that were not built for commercial activity, every time you allow one of those commercial uh, residential units to be flipped to commercial, that's just one less place that somebody can live on a permanent basis. And it only exacerbates the homeless problem. So if they really want to find a solution to this, we're glad to work with them. Putting them in hotels and kicking out hotel guests, certainly not the solution. Exactly. Yeah. So as we talk hotels in here, and you've been in a number of them over the years, what are your top tips when it comes to staying in a hotel? <laughs> Pick a good one. Uh, yeah, I stay in, in hotels almost every night. Uh, I do a ton of traveling uh, on behalf of the industry. Look, you want to book in advance. We we represent both independent hotels, and there's some amazing, beautiful independent hotels out there. And we, of course, represent every major brand. And so if points are something that is important to you, you can you can actually combine the two now because there's so many brands that, that operate semi-independent hotels, but you still get your points um, locations, uh, still matters. Uh, you know, I find people that will book something that's 25 minutes away from where they actually need to be. And then recognize, uh, that whatever they thought they were going to save, they're paying a lot more than that, just in Ubers to getting back and forth. And I have no issues with Uber. I ride Uber every single day, great company, but, uh, location still matters and try to find that hotel, uh, that can provide you with the experience, the experience that you're looking for, because that's where your memories are going to be made. Um, there are some incredible hotels out there that should not only be judged on the way they look, but the people that work inside them. And a lot of times you can actually read some of the uh, experience reviews and, and find these places that have these incredible hotel employees that are just making your stay very, very special. I love that. Great insights. Yeah, location is key um, because, yeah, in your hometown, 12 miles might be an easy stretch. But, you know, in some of these bigger cities, 12 miles is going to be a nightmare at times, especially during, uh, you know, particular times of the day as well. Well, I was in Seoul, South Korea a couple months ago, and I can tell you 12 miles there is about two and a half hours in the car. So <laughs> brutal. So, yeah. So so choose wisely, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as we wrap up here, any closing message you'd like to pass along to our listeners? Look, the hotel industry is healthy. It is it, it is in about as good a place as we've seen it since 2019. Um, as I mentioned earlier, hoteliers understand 
what guests want now better than ever, and they communicate with those guests better than ever. So your experience uh, traveling, at least at the hotel, should be fantastic. Now, airlines and airports and things like that, that's another story. I can't solve that. I, I spent uh, about two hours in an airport this morning before I finally caught my flight to get back here to Washington, D.C. Uh, but I know they're trying. And, and you know, there's a lot of technology out there that's, that's making your stay a lot less uh, uh, or more seamless than it has been in the past. And, and we know that hotels are a key part of that. Love it. Thank you. Fresh off a of flight, the man gets on a podcast. I appreciate you taking time to talk travel and hotel industry here, Chip. Where can uh, Thanks, people um, plug your website and any other socials or any, any other things you want to plug? As we uh, AHLA.com, of course. And then uh, I'm all over LinkedIn, got about 38,000 followers. So hopefully I'm posting some good stuff that people like. Excellent. Thanks so much, Chip. Thanks, Eric. Thanks again to Chip for jumping on the show and talking all things hotels there. Always a great time having him on. If you'd like to be on the show, podcast at travelpulse.com is the email. Reach out and would love to set something up and see what we can make happen as well as any sponsorship opportunities. Reach out. We got a lot coming up for 2024. Exciting times ahead. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Next week, we'll be talking a little bit about cruising, so be sure to come back and tune in. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>